I don't know what you think about those who, when they tell a story or they tell, they recall of their past, they're always the hero of every story. You know, the, the people like that where they center on and they're going to make a story so that they become the hero of the moment. How needed they were, how important they were. That every story they tell, they are the center and they are the hero. It's interesting because that was not the Apostle Paul. The guy who wrote the majority of the New Testament down, he was not one with a hero complex. He did not need to be affirmed. He did not need to be looked up to and said, oh, how great you are and look at you, you're such a hero. Paul made very well known all of his struggles and all the difficulties he went through. He didn't try to make it out that, that life was easy for him and that things came uh, easily and was because of his strength or his ability. Paul never did that. Paul always admitted his weakness and his failure. We have re repeatedly Paul admitting that he is indeed the chief of sinners. He says, I'm the worst of the worst. And Paul goes on and talks about in, in 1 Corinthians, all of his, oh, sorry, in 2 Corinthians, all of his trials he went through, all the difficulties. In 2 Corinthians, he talks about this thorn in his flesh, a difficulty that he wants God to remove. And so Paul says, I am weak. But realizing what Christ is and who God is, he says, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses. Paul was not the hero of every story. He didn't make himself out to be the one that you looked up to and admired. Ultimately, he always passed on the praise to where it rightly belongs. It's so interesting, Paul, uh, not being the hero of every story. Uh, we, we see this kind of flow out in Romans chapter 15. Where he even says, I'm just going to read the one verse and then I'll read the section. He says, uh, for I venture not to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. When I want to tell a story, when I want to tell you what has gone on in a certain place, I don't want to tell you what I have done or what my abilities have accomplished. He says, I only want to tell you the parts that show you what Christ has done. Because that's the only part that will last. That's the only part that's important. That's the only part with value. I want to read for us for Romans chapter 15, this section here, beginning at verse 14. It says this, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness and filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points, he says, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace of God given by, uh, sorry, the grace of God given to me to be a minister of Christ to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have a reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way through Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see. And those who have never heard will understand. I love what he says there. And we're looking specifically at verses 17 through 19. Where he begins by saying, In Christ, 
I have a reason to be proud of my work for God. And I will venture to not speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Now, when, when I read that, I wonder, can I say that? Can, can you say that? Like, I, I don't want to speak of anything except for what Christ has accomplished through me. Because in order to be able to say that, you must be aware of what Christ has accomplished through you. And Paul specifically is not just speaking of his own personal life and what Christ has done to transform him from a, a murderous, hating man to a man who now loves and preaches the gospel to those who he once hated. Paul's not just talking about that transformation and what Christ has accomplished in him, but he's talking about what Christ has accomplished through him in other people. And so could we say the same thing? I want to only speak about what Christ has done in other people through me. In order to do that, we must be actively serving Christ. We must be actively using what God has given us, the mouth he's given us, the hands he has given us, the feet, the ears, the eyes. All that he's giving us, we must be using for him to see what Christ is going to accomplish through us. Have you seen, have you experienced Christ working and accomplishing things through you? What about this last year? Have you just been in, in maintenance mode? Or are you just trying to tread water yourself? And so you think, how in the world could I ever serve other people? How in the world could I ever be concerned about others' faith when I can't even see them? I don't know anyone. I haven't got to talk to people. What has Christ accomplished through you in the last year? Have you been his hands and his feet, his ears, his mouth? Have you been words of encouragement? Have you been a one to comfort have you one to give hope that is not just in this life and not just in a, a healing or, or things getting better, but have you been the, the deliverer of true hope, hope that is beyond this life, hope eternal? What has Christ accomplished through you in these last year or in the last five years, 10 years? What has Christ accomplished through you? Not just in you. I know it's amazing. And I love that Denise shared her story about what God has accomplished, not only in her, but she did mention things about how God is using her and her passions about what God has given her for children and for grief counseling. It, it, God has given her that passion so that he may work through her. And so she recognizes that. And I wonder, you know, do we recognize that about ourselves, that the God's grace and his work in our life doesn't just stop at us? It's not just about me being transformed and me feeling better and me feeling less guilty and more forgiven. That's not simply where the grace of God ought to stop. It ought to flow through. And so what has God accomplished through you in the last five years? And if you can't answer the question, sometimes you have to wonder, okay, well, have I just not been a willing servant? Have I not been intentional? Have I just been sitting, waiting for the opportunity to fall on my lap perfectly and easy? What am I waiting for to serve God, to have him be serving through me? Paul says, all that I want to tell you about is what Christ has done. He just wanted to recount it over and over again, what God has done. And in Revelation, it talks about one day in, in glory in heaven, when, when all has passed away, We'll be singing the songs of Moses, and it's a really interesting phrase, but what it basically says is we're going to be singing the story of what God has done. The, singing the song of Moses is really celebrating what God did, and specifically there through Moses. 
but it's what God has done through his servants. We're going to sing the song of Moses. We're going to sing the song of Denise. We're going to sing the song of you. What's that song going to say? What has God accomplished through you? And if we're going to sing that song one day, we ought to start singing it now. And that's what Paul says. I, I don't want to venture to speak of anything about what Christ has done through me. But he begins this chapter with the really, or this, even these, sorry, these verses with this interesting sentence at the beginning of 17. In Christ, then, he says, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. I have a reason to be proud of my work for God. But it's amazing. I love that it's in context because there, if you just took that verse out, you could say, oh, well, I can be proud and I can pat myself on the back and I can make a name for myself and I can, you know, try to impact the world with my name on my ministry or whatever. But Paul gives us a context. He, he begins that verse by even saying, in Christ Jesus. So he's not saying, in my power, in my strength, with my abilities. He says, it's in Christ. It's only because I'm, I'm hidden in him and I'm found in him. And I'm clothed in his righteousness. I'm clothed with his power in Christ Jesus then. I have a reason to be proud of my work for God. He's saying, I have done it. I have served him. I have done work for God. There is no denying that. But then he carries on. And he goes to show where the... the the praise actually belongs, where the honor actually belongs, is not to Paul. In Christ, I have reason to be proud for my work in God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except for what Christ has accomplished through me. So when I'm proud of my work for God, I'm just going to tell you what, what he has done. Yes, he may have used my mouth. Yes, he may have used my hands and my heart and my generosity. But this is what God has done. And so I want to boast in that. I have reason to be proud that I have been willing and submissive and that I've been able to be used by him as an instrument for his work. I'm proud of that. And that is something to be absolutely proud of. Rather than you getting through life and being so self-focused that all you've been th thinking about is what God can do for you. There's nothing to be proud of in that. But there is something to be proud of when you say, what can God do through me? And there is, there is great joy in service, right? And there is great joy, especially if you are uh, a believer in Christ and you have accepted his forgiveness and his grace. For you to extend that to someone else and call someone else and say, listen, you can be free. You can be forgiven. That, that guilt you feel, that the fear that you have of hell can be eliminated when you come through Christ because he has taken your guilt and your sin. When you, when you, extend that message to others as you have experienced it, there is a, not, not a, a bad sense of pride. There is a good sense of pride. And it, that's where you can say, I'm proud that I, that I had the, the courage to say that, that God gave me the courage and the words to communicate to someone else that they can be forgiven like I was forgiven. So I, I'm proud of my work. I'm proud that I didn't just sit at home because it was easier. I'm proud that I didn't just keep my mouth shut because it, it keeps the peace. I'm proud that I, I was had the courage by God's strength to open up, to serve, to be generous. I'm proud for my work for God, but I will not venture to speak of anything except for what Christ has accomplished through me. And Paul mentions specifically what he's speaking about. He says, um, well, Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. So the, those people who were not originally a part of like the family God, the Israelites, the Jewish people, they weren't God's people at the time. And, and Paul felt called to go, no matter how hard it was, which is 
so contrary to what Paul had in his blood. His blood, his heart, what made him stir was an aggression and anger towards these people. He was literally going out against these people, especially those, because he, he probably assumed anyone who came to faith in Christ was a Gentile, that there's no way they could have been God's people. He hated these kind of people. But instead he said, I have accomplished something. Well, Christ has accomplished something in them. He brought them to obedience. And, and the first point of obedience, when Christ says, um, Christ calls us to repent and believe the gospel, to turn from our sin and to believe. To, to turn from trusting in ourself and believe that he is sufficient. That's the first call that we have to obey. And here he's talking the Gentiles did that. To bring these Gentiles to obedience, he says, I saw many Gentiles come and they, they laid their lives before Jesus and said, I'm not enough. What I can offer you is nothing. I am a sinner and I need a rescue. And so Paul says, they obeyed. They repented, they turned from their sin, they trusted, they obeyed, and they have now walked in continual obedience. And he's speaking even obviously in the Roman context, there was a church with a bunch of Gentiles in it, and he was glad to hear of them, glad to see of them, and their obedience, and their desire to please the Lord. All of chapter 14 was about their desire in, in kind of choosing moral choices on, they wanted to please God, they wanted to give God glory, and he says, that's obedience. And Christ is accomplishing that in those Gentiles. And it's only because I open my mouth. And he says, I'm proud of that. I'm proud that God has used me in this way to accomplish something, this obedience in the Gentiles. And he has this conclusion there. He says, at the end of verse, sorry, into verse 19, he says, So that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. I have fulfilled the ministry. I have done what I was supposed to do. I have gone, I have not sat back a day and thought, you know what, I just get to take this off. I get to take a year off. I'm retired from loving people. I'm retired from serving people, from being generous. I need to stop. Obviously, there's a point where you are already on empty and you cannot serve anymore and you need a break, a rest, a, a restoration, but it's not forever. There's no such thing as retirement from serving God. You, you always serve him because you love him and because you want others to, to know the love of Christ. And so you just keep serving. So Paul says, I've fulfilled the ministry. I've gone from here to there. And as I should keep going from here to there and next. And he, he mentions there, I read it earlier. He says, well, I desire to keep on going and preach the gospel where he's never been proclaimed. There's places still on this earth today. It's shocking, but there are places where they've never, ever heard the name of Jesus. And I'm not just talking about the public school or, or your neighbor who's maybe never stepped foot in a church. They've heard the name of Jesus. They've heard the concept that he's a part of some religious movement. Maybe some children today have never heard, and I don't doubt that. But there are, there are nations, there are entire people groups where they have never even heard that there is a Jesus who has died on the cross on their behalf. They've never heard that. They've, they've never experienced that. They've never had the grace of God extended to them through another person. There are still nations and people groups like that today. So Paul, if he was still here today, he would say, I'm going to go and preach there. I'm going to make it my aim to preach where Christ has not been preached. I'm going to go and I'm going to go, even if it's hard. You know, the reason that they're still unreached nations is because they're the most hard to reach, the most violent to, to be in. 
So that's why they're unreached. People are terrified to go. But people are going, and it is amazing. And, I'm, and those people would be able to be proud of the work that they have done for God and what Christ is accomplishing through them. They ought to be, and I, I am proud of people who are willing to pack up their easy lives here and go to a place where there may be um, war-torn zones, where if they are caught converting another person or they're telling another person about Jesus, they could have their head chopped off. They ought to be proud of the work they are doing for God, and we ought to pray for them and support them. If we're not willing to go, we ought to support them generously, those who will go, to continue to fulfill Paul's ministry, right? Because people need to hear of the love of Christ, and there needs to be people to go, according to Romans chapter 10. How will they believe in a God that they've never heard of? How will they come to faith in a God they've never experienced? So we ought to go. Well, Paul says, I have fulfilled the, the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And I wonder if you know your ministry of the gospel of Christ that he's given you. What giftings do you have? What passions do you have that God has granted to you? And, and in that realm, have you fulfilled or are you fulfilling the ministry? The ministry is just the service. It's not an official thing. It's just a service of God. Have you fulfilled your service to God in your passion? Are you still doing it? So that you may say, I, I'm going to speak only of what Christ is accomplishing through me. Not just one day, that one time that I, I had an opportunity. But constantly, there's the story that he's writing in your life. It should constantly be changing. And you should be able to, year after year, you should be able to share your testimony and, and it be transformed. Because God has done something else through you and in you. It's always a story of what God has done, right? And so I wonder if we know even what our ministry is in order to fulfill it. How are we going to honor God if we are not intentional about what God would have us to do, what he's gifted us with, what he's given us in our own hearts is given for a reason and a purpose. And he's given you your neighbors for you, not for me. He's given you your family for you, not for me. And so even there, your ministry is your family, your neighbors, your friends, your passion, your desires, your gifts, your talents, your ministry, the way you can serve God, have you fulfilled it and are you fulfilling it so that you may venture to speak only of what Christ is accomplishing through you? Maybe that's just that you're getting uh, more bold in your words. Maybe you're just um, sharpening your skills in terms of uh, an area that you might want to reach people for Christ or, or share his love with them. Lately, what have you been doing to fulfill your ministry for the gospel of Christ? A good way for a church to hold each other accountable to this is to not just ask, hey, how's the weather or how was work this week, but to ask, who are you actively trying to share the gospel with so that I can pray for you? Because if someone asked you that week after week, who are you sharing the gospel with or who are you wanting to share the gospel with? Like you can't just be thinking, oh, let me go to the archives here and think about five years ago uh, when, I, when I was hoping to share the gospel with Bob, you know? Like, are you actively thinking of people that you know that you want them to, to know the love of Christ? You want them to know the freedom of forgiveness? You want them to know the hope of heaven? Are there people actively that you're not just thinking of uh, on the fringe and not just thinking of in general, your family in general, but are you thinking of them? Are you praying for them intentionally? Are you pursuing and, and, and looking for opportunities to just um, weave the gospel into conversations, the goodness of God, the sinfulness of man, 
the, the freedom of forgiveness? Are you looking for those opportunities? And the way a church can hold you accountable to that is by asking each other, who are you actively praying for and attempting to reach for Christ so that I can pray with you? If we ask that to each other on a regular basis, we would be more willing to not just um, be doing it and be intentional about it, to, to be intentionally fulfilling the ministry Christ has given us, but we'd also be doing exactly what Paul says, venturing to speak of what Christ has accomplished through us. Like a person I never thought I would love, a person I never thought that I would even care about their life. Suddenly God has put them on my heart and I think that it's me that's supposed to share with them. I, I think there's something that I ought to do to serve this person or be generous to this person so that I might have an open door to share about how I love Jesus. You know, and so we might be able to tell what Christ is accomplishing in us and through us on a regular basis. Who are you actively trying to reach for Christ so that I can pray for you specifically? That's an important question that you ought to ask yourself and ask one another so that we can hold each other accountable and we can live and fulfill the ministry that Christ has given us so that we can boast and be proud in the work of God that he's doing in us. He says here, um, so in Christ, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. And then he says how it all happens. In parenthesis here, he says how this all happens. He says by word and by deed. So I don't know if you've ever heard the false phrase that says preach the gospel and use words if necessary. That's a false phrase. Preach the gospel and use words if necessary. The idea is you can just preach the gospel by doing good deeds. That's false. It's not true. Romans 10 says they need to hear that faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. Yes, they need to see your faith in action, but it is not sufficient alone. They need to hear the gospel. And so here it even it, it solidifies that. It says by word and by deed. So you can't just uh, be someone who talks the talk, right? You got to walk the walk. But you can't just be a person who just does things all the time and expects people to know that, oh, because you did a good deed for me and you helped the lady across the street and you give somebody a boost and, and you're really generous because you did all those things. Oh, you know what? I'm a sinner and I must confess my faith to Jesus. No one's going to know that from your deeds alone. And so word and deed go together, hand in hand. And so Paul says, that's what accomplishes this. Paul says, I went and I served these people, but I also preached to these people. It happens by word and by deed, by the power of signs and wonders, seeing transforming powers, seeing miracles, and having miracles pointed out to people. And then it says, ultimately, it is by the power of the Spirit of God. It's not by the power of your intelligence. It's not by the power of your uh, physical strength. Do you have enough strength to serve these people? It's not by the power of your emotional attachment to these people. I don't know if I love them enough to tell them. I don't know if I love them enough to go. It's not by any of that power so that you may not boast. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. You cannot take a heart of stone and you cannot make it pliable. You cannot change someone's heart. You cannot change their mind. Only God can. And so that gives us great assurance as we go. And as we submit ourselves and say, God, just use me, and only you're able to do this. I, I can't make this person see their plight. I can't make them see how, how, how guilt-ridden they are. I can't make them see the, the realities of hell. 
but you can by your Spirit's power. The Holy Spirit is at work in us and at work in the world. And the only way we'll ever see and have our eyes open and our hearts receptive is if the Spirit is doing it. And I'm so thankful for that because it takes the pressure off me. I don't need to do all the convincing. I don't need to do all the, oh, I got to better be tricky here the way I say things. I don't have to worry about any of that. I just have to tell people of what Christ has accomplished in me and, and tell them he can do that for them too. Invite them along. Say, listen, do you believe that? Do you believe you're safe? Do you believe that if you died today, you would have hope of heaven? And what's that basis on? And the Spirit of God has to do the work in them to, to either say, yeah, I'm hard as a stone and you can't convince me. Or, you know what, I got to think about that. But it's all the Spirit's work. And so we can just rest assured that if we just submit ourselves to do the work for God, we can be proud that the task is, is complete. That's why Paul says, I fulfilled my ministry. Does that mean that every person he talked to was uh, converted to Christ and came to Christ for salvation? No, of course not. But he fulfilled it because he knew that he delivered the message. If you tell someone uh, about their, their plight, about the realities of their sin and the realities of the Savior, of how Christ would stand on their behalf and forgive them, then you've done your job. So you can say, I've fulfilled my ministry doesn't mean you stop there and you never say it again to another person or even to that same person. You can keep going back, but you can rest assured that you have done what God has called you to do, to deliver the message of hope. And then you leave it to the Spirit of God. So not just in a mystical kind of way, but then also in prayer. Like you can be praying and asking that the Spirit would work on so-and-so's heart, that the Spirit would give you words, that the Spirit would give you strength and courage. It is the Spirit's work. It is God at work in us. He's not just something out there, far off, unreachable. But if you are a believer in Christ, if you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit of God, the very person of God, and active in your heart, at work in your heart, transforming you, but also using you as an instrument for righteousness, according to Romans 6, so that they may fulfill the ministry. It's the Spirit. And that's why Paul says, as I began in verse 17, in Christ, I have a reason to be proud for my work for God. You have a reason because God is doing something. That's the reason. The Holy Spirit is doing something. That's the reason to be proud. When you submit yourself and you walk in humble obedience before God, you have a reason to be proud in your work for God. You don't got to go through life with a false sense of humility. Like, oh, no, you know, I've, yeah, poor me. And no, no, I've never done anything. You can be proud for what God has done through you. Celebrate the things that God has done in you and through you. Because it's not you. Ultimately, if you truly understand this, it's the Holy Spirit of God through you. It's God at work in you. So you can be proud in that. You don't have to say, well, I accomplished and I went to Mexico and converted 500 people. No, no, it's not you you are an instrument in God's plan. And there's reason to boast in that. There's reason to pursue that because God gets the glory from start to finish. And he so rightly deserves it. Not just in our lives as we serve him, but in the lives of those that we serve. Currently, a person who does not live for Christ does not glorify him. They rob him of glory. They say, other things are more worthy than you are of my time and my heart and my affection. You are not worthy and so they're robbing God of glory. And so when we go and we minister to them, we are giving them an opportunity to glorify God. And that is 
worth it every time. So we do it. We submit ourselves wholly to him for his service so that here, just as Paul said, you know, we would venture to speak of what Christ has accomplished through us. I want you to think about that this week. What has Christ accomplished through me? Not just in me, but through me recently. What has he accomplished historically through me? Has it been anything? Or maybe have I been a reluctant servant? Have I been one who's just storing up for myself? The the treasures of God's grace and his mercy and his love and, and the word of God are so good to me. Well, have you passed them on? Have you been an instrument for his righteousness? What has he accomplished through you? And it doesn't have to be a big, huge thing, by the way. It can be little things. But it's Christ accomplishing it through you, and there's a reason to be proud in that, because in that work, we are glorifying God in our own lives and the lives of others, as he so rightly deserves. What Christ has accomplished through us, we will boast in that alone. Let's pray together for that end. Oh God, we want this to be true of us. We want to echo Paul as he says that uh, he is proud for the work that you have done in and through him. We want that same thing in us, God. We want uh, for you to work in us this week and the rest of our lives. We don't want to waste a moment. We, won't, we don't want to um, sit back and just fill ourselves with goodness. We want to extend the goodness and the grace of our God unto others. God, may we have the courage to do that. May we Uh, meditate even upon this in ourselves this week. May we hold each other accountable to who we want to reach for Christ so that you may get glory and we may encourage one another in the faith. We may be praying for one another more intentionally about the things that truly matter for all of eternity. So would you help us to do all these things for your honor and glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.